Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back, everybody, to another Buckeye Talk. Sorry it's late this week. Doug Lane Marie Salone in my basement in the wee hours. It's not even technically Wednesday. We have a we have a thing on Cleveland.com that says every Wednesday, Buckeye Talk. So I apologize, this did not get to you on Wednesday. I can't remember the last time we were late. Man, I cannot remember. Last week we were a little early. Just got away from me this week. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to hit a lot of stuff. I did not put out a call for questions this week, and that's because I have a lot of questions left over from you guys on our Gmail account, BuckeyeTalkPod at Gmail, on Twitter, and from our text message uh, people. And we're going to run through those. We're going to do rapid fire. It's just me. I never want it to be just me, but it's not my call. Okay, so like, I mean, everything on this podcast is my call because I'm the only person who's been here from the beginning who's still around. Um, I'd rather have somebody with me every week, and I thought the last three were good. Um, we had the fans last week. You guys were with me. We had Steven and Tim the week before doing recruiting. We had Jake Burns the week before doing X's and O's. I actually rode, uh, Jake and I drove together up to Brown's practice on Wednesday. I was there at Brown's practice, um, which is why I'm a little behind on this. Um, and it's funny, we had like, uh, I was telling him stories in the car. I was like, man, we should record this, but I didn't. So we're going to do rapid fire because I know when it's just me, I think the big fear people have is the Doug ramble, which perhaps you feel like you're in the midst of right now. But what we're going to do, I'm going to time myself on stuff and I'm going to try to hit a bunch of things with relatively quick answers. So we want to keep this moving. And when it's just me, I don't want to bog you guys down. Um, Try our text message thing, cleveland.com. Go find it. We still have a million ads up. It's still free for the month of May. A lot of people have signed up, and I appreciate that. I think it's worth it. And I was thinking about it this week, like, what are we going to talk about? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I've tweeted like 27 thoughts about Ohio State. Um, to my text message followers this month. So we're going to start off with something that I originally included in a text message. And we're going to start with our, we're clearing out the inbox from the Gmail folder. And this is from, 
No, it's not him. It's from Deshannis Gray, our guy on email. Okay, so we know Ryan Day is not yet Ohio State Urban, but is he first-year Florida Urban? And how many coaches right now would you take before him? And that's the part of the question that I'm going to get into. Because, again, among the 27 text messages I have sent so far in the month of May, a couple weeks ago, um, somebody had a list of the best coaches in college football. Okay, And Ryan Day, it was the 25 best coaches in college football, and Ryan Day was not on the list. And... I wasn't surprised by that um, because he hasn't been a head coach before, right? So that makes sense to me that he would not be on that list. But then I said, here are the people that I would take ahead of Ryan Day. And, And what I said was, these are the people I would definitely take ahead of Ryan Day. No doubt about it. And it is not a long list. So I'll give you a second to think of it yourself. Who you, what, co- what current college football coaches would you 100% no doubt about take ahead of Ryan Day? Think about it. All right, so I got seven. Let me run through you. The, the, the list that triggered this for me was from 247 Sports. So I want to give them credit. Ranking college football's 25 best Power 5 coaches. The byline's Brad Crawford from May 6th. Here's their 25, 25 through 1. And as we go, I'll tell you if I would definitely take Ryan Day. Or if I would definitely take the guy ahead of Ryan Day. Ed Orgeron, LSU, I'd take Ryan Day. David Cutcliffe, Duke, Day. 23, Kirk Ferentz, Iowa, I'd take Day. 22, Scott Frost, Nebraska. I think you have an argument there. It's like a good, young, offensively-minded coach. Scott Frost has already been a head coach at UCF and succeeded to a great degree. But I wouldn't definitely, no doubt about it, take Scott Frost over Ryan Day. So I wouldn't include him. Paul Christ at Wisconsin has done a really good job. Has done a really good job. I would not take him over Ryan Day. Kyle Whittingham, Utah, no. Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State, no. Chip Kelly, UCLA, is like Ryan Day's mentor. Ryan Day learned offense from Chip Kelly. They went to the same high school in New Hampshire. Ryan Day went to play quarterback at New Hampshire at UNH when Chip Kelly was the offensive coordinator there. But would I definitely take Chip Kelly like the mentor over the mentee, the mento? Um, no, I would not definitely take it. You know, Chip Kelly went to the NFL. I think Chip Kelly showed in the NFL. And Ryan Day, if you're listening, don't be offended. Chip Kelly had an ego in the NFL. And I think that ego... He earned it, but, you know, I don't think Ryan Day has an ego right now. So I would not definitely take Chip Kelly. Jim Harbaugh would not definitely take Jim Harbaugh. He's good. I actually think Jim Harbaugh is doing a good job. Ten wins in three of the four years there after what Brady Hoke and Rich Rod did. He's good. I wouldn't definitely take him. Brian Kelly, no. David Shaw Stanford is one guy on my list, yes. And when I say I had seven guys on my list, I think it's, it's uh, the, the, the top of the list is the obvious guys, and then I had three guys on my list that to me are succeeding at a super high level 
at a place that either doesn't have the tradition or the recruiting power or the recruiting area or the facilities or something that they are winning at a place that isn't as good as, as Ohio State. And, and my belief would be if you pick them up from where they are and put them at Ohio State, I would have a reasonable belief that they could be better than Ryan Day. So I, if, if given the choice, I would take them ahead of Ryan Day. David Shaw of Stanford was one guy on that list. So that's one. Mark D'Antonio, Michigan State. Really good, but no. Tom Herman, Tom Herman, Texas. Somebody brought this up to me because like Tom Herman and Ryan Day, it's like, right, the two best offensive coordinators under Urban. I like Tom Herman. I think Tom Herman's good. Would I definitely take him over Ryan Day? I think they're similar enough. And what Tom Herman has done at Texas and what he did at Houston is really good. It's not miraculous. What he did at Houston was really, really good. Texas, it's good. It's on the way up. I think he's going to rebound there. But I wouldn't definitely take him over Ryan Day. So, no. Dan Mullen, Florida, another urban guy, another urban offensive coordinator. No, I would not definitely take him. James Franklin, Penn State, no. Kirby Smart, Georgia, yes. Learn from Nick Saban. Great defensive mind, got it going from a recruiting standpoint and an on-the-field win standpoint immediately at Georgia. Yes, Kirby Smart's too. Matt Campbell, Iowa State, he's the guy I think would be the head coach at Ohio State if not for Ryan Day. Would I definitely take the Iowa State head coach over Ryan Day? No. If, 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 I, was, if I was Gene Smith, would I have hired Matt Campbell over Ryan Day? Maybe. Would I definitely have hired Matt Campbell over Ryan Day? No. Gary Patterson, TCU, has sort of been out there as like a guy who's a really successful guy. Sort of fits the qualifications, I said, of winning at a place that doesn't that isn't Ohio State, but he's not on my list. Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern, is seven on this list. He's on my list. What he's done at Northwestern has been remarkable. I think if you gave him a power, a power top ten program, he could do great things with that. That's three, and he's established. He's still young, but he's established in a way that Ryan Day isn't. I would take Pat Fitzgerald. That's three. Mike Leach, Washington State, no. Chris Peterson, Washington, yes. He's the third guy to me with Shaw, Fitzgerald, and Chris Peterson of guys winning at a high level that could do great things at Ohio State. Chris Peterson is four on my list. And then the top three guys on this list are obvious. You know who they are. Lincoln Riley's three, Dabo Sweeney's two, Nick Saban's one. So I'd take Gene Smith once Ryan Day to be Lincoln Riley. I would take Lincoln Riley. Two playoff appearances, two Heisman winners. I would take him. You take Dabo. You take Nick Saban. So those are the only seven that I would take for sure over Ryan Day. Am I like? Do I think? Am I pounding my fist that Ryan Day is not on the top twenty-five list? No. Like, is he? You know, people love the NFL people and certain coaching people love Kirk Ferentz. Like, I get it. Um, I'd take Ryan Day. Like, so Ryan Day will be on. <clears throat> and I texted this. Ryan Day will be on a list like that a year from now, right? I mean, he just will be. He's just not there yet because he hasn't been. But but last week we talked a lot about – well, we talked all about the state of the program. I still have a, a Ryan Day story that I want you guys to read that's going to be out the end of this week. I got delayed on that a little bit. That's coming. But I did get a little bit of feedback from people who thought like last week we got a little bit too negative. What I would like to do in the future, and I was thinking about this, is podcast ideas for down the line. We will do the 12-0 and 0 podcast, all the reasons Ohio State could go 12-0. and 0. 
in 2019. So we will wear our scarlet color glasses one week here this summer and give everybody who has that thought process, we'll give you um, a voice and we'll lean in to everything good because there's a lot good with this program and you know it, but also you know that they haven't gone undefeated in the regular season since 2013. So like, it's really hard to do, but we'll lean into that. But, but I, I did want to make the point that you know, Ryan Day is not established, but there's not a million guys I would take over him. Dan Ryback. All right. That was like the longer intro one. We're going to go quicker on these. I'm not going to let myself go more than five minutes. Gosh, can I do that? I have a stopwatch. Should I set the, set the stopwatch? Would that help? I'll set the stopwatch. Ooh, can I do that? Okay, right, here we go. No more than five minutes each answer. Dan Ryback on email. I know Ohio State was in on J.J. McCarthy, who was a five-star kid who just committed to Michigan at quarterback before Ohio State landed Kyle McCord, who's a four-star. There seemed to be a lot of excitement when McCord committed, but my first thought was what happened to McCarthy. It left me wondering, did we settle for McCord? Were we happy to get him because we knew we weren't getting McCarthy, or was he just our guy? I know stars don't mean everything, and I do trust Ryan Day as a QB evaluator, but now seeing that McCarthy committed to the cesspool, which is Michigan— I'm curious if you have additional intel on how all this played out. Keep up the good work. Uh, Dan Ryback. And by the way, he loved when Jake Burns was on, and we'll have Jake back. I don't have a lot of additional intel. Um, I would not read it as Ohio State settling for Kyle McCord because you don't settle this early. And we talked a lot about the need to get a quarterback early. I think it was smart. They want to get a quarterback and and then step two is keep the quarterback. But there's no need to settle this early. If they wanted J.J. McCarthy, I think they could have had J.J. McCarthy. So everybody makes their their choices. It's about more than star ratings. But I'm also not going to poo-poo star ratings, you know. People love to point out when two stars make it and five stars failed. More often than not, the five stars make it and the two stars fail. That's just the way it is. Um, I think we are looking at potentially like in 2024. These are both class of uh, 2021 guys. Like the 2024 Ohio State-Michigan game, J.J. McCarthy for Michigan, Kyle McCord for Ohio State could be like really awesome. I mean, it's crazy to think about. It's five years away. But uh, the most interesting part of that, I thought, and I texted that. Again, you guys should join the text message thing. It's just the idea that like Michigan and Ohio State are recruiting the same, the same kind of guys. And we've talked about that here before. Again, that you know there was a time when Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh didn't recruit the same kind of quarterback. So a guy like J.J. McCarthy wouldn't have been on the board for both Michigan and Ohio State because they want different things. But now, you know, Jim Harbaugh has leaned a little more toward the spread. Ryan Day wants a pro-style guy. But they both want J.J. McCarthy. They both were interested in J.J. McCarthy. But I think Ryan Day picked Kyle McCord over J.J. McCarthy. And I think... For now, that's a reasonable uh, and fair way to read that. Bill Feeman, great emailer, one of our most loyal emailers. Did you see the report where Tate Martell claims he was told to transfer by the coaches? Ohio State was his dream school, and he thought about sticking around despite the coaches telling him to leave, but he ultimately opted to leave. Do you think there's any truth to it, or is Tate trying to repair his image? 
If he was forced out and told to transfer, I think OSU fans would treat him more like Joe Burrow and really root for him. If he just ran away from competition, many fans, including myself, were not going to follow him very closely. So is this a case of OSU forcing him out but not publicly owning it, or a player trying to repair his image in the town he left, Bill Feeman? Um, I texted about this this week. So the story is by uh, Andrea at Adelson on ESPN. You guys can go read it. Maybe you have by now. And, and Bill spelled it out very well. I think there is um, not a huge difference between telling a kid like, listen, this place is not for you anymore. And um, just sort of making it obvious or everybody being able to read the situation. And I do think... You could read the situation, and we've still, you know, Stephen wrote a big thing about this at the time. The Ryan Day offense that we saw Dwayne Haskins run, like, is not a great fit for Tate Martell. Tate Martell came into play, came here to play in the Urban Meyer, JT Barrett, Braxton Miller offense, and like that doesn't seem where they're going. So you lost the fit, and so. I and I this is what I texted this week. I think the only complicating factor in the whole Tate Martell transfer was the Rose Bowl interview, which you guys remember, which I stood there with Tate and I said, Man, Tate, we have been waiting to talk to you. I've been and I said, and I imagine you've been waiting to talk to us. He said, Yeah, kind of. And he lit it up that day in Pasadena. They're playing the Rose Bowl, and all we want to do is talk to Tate. And you guys remember it. You guys remember it. He basically challenged Justin Fields, said, you're not taking my job. I'm not going anywhere. Without that interview, everything about this transfer makes sense. But, but Tate gave a stand-your-ground interview and then left before spring. So I will say this. I don't know for sure that Ohio State like sort of told Tate to leave, but I believe it. And I actually think that's better because you could see he wasn't the perfect fit anymore. It doesn't mean he couldn't have won the job. I, I didn't think it was impossible for him to win the job, right? Um, and, if, and if he would have stayed and something would have happened to Justin Fields, he would have won the job. But he's not the same fit that Fields is. So I think it's better for Ohio State to tell the kid outright. All of this stinks. All the stuff of you come to your dream school, there's a coaching change, all of a sudden the offense isn't the offense you wanted to run, that stinks for Tate Martell. But if part of Bill's question is, should we root for him or not, I would root for him. Because the only thing that made it look like he was running away was his news conference. And he said, they said, Tate, like, basically, probably it would be best for you to leave. And he said he felt sick to his stomach and he was going to stick it out. And he, he said, I was going to roll the dice. And I think that interview was him saying, no, I'm going to roll the dice. And then he just changed his mind. I don't know exactly why he did it. I thought once he gave the news conference, he'd stay through the spring for sure. He didn't. That's the only weird part of this. The other is the run-of-the-mill, unfortunate stuff for kids. So the offense didn't fit him. Whether Ohio State told him directly or made it clear indirectly, it's a small difference. I hope they told him directly. He left. He should be eligible at Miami right away. He has been granted the waiver. He is eligible at Miami right away. The only reason you wouldn't root for him is because of that weird news conference when he sort of called out Justin Fields and then he boogied. But if that was just a kid grasping at straws, this is how it works. Go ahead 
and root for Tate Martell, Bill, and anybody else who wants to. I think you can root for him as a kid who truly did have Ohio State as his, as his dream school. And are, there are other circumstances where it could have worked out here. Was he forced out is the headline of Bill's email? Like, I hate all this stuff. It's terrible. It's terrible for kids. Like, was he forced out? I mean, you can you know, like you can tell a kid you're not going to win the job, right? Or, or this offense doesn't fit you. If he stays and has a great spring, like he's not forced. You can't just yank the scholarship. So, I think forced is too strong. Was he give, made it? Was it made very clear to him this is not the place for you? Probably, I believe him. I don't think that's a bad move by Ohio State. And so I actually, dang it, I rambled on this one. Shoot, man, I lost the stopwatch. I'm trying to record on the cell phone and use the stopwatch on the cell phone. Let's see. That answer is seven minutes. Dang it. It's Tate, though. No. Well, it's Tate. Bill, root for him. Evan Jones, great question. Here, I'm going to restart the stopwatch so I won't go over five minutes on this answer. Reset, start. <clears throat> I don't have a cough anymore, but when I talk, my throat gets dry. Evan Jones. I've been listening to the past podcast, and I honed in on the question, why Clemson? We had a fork in the road around 2015 where we had an opportunity to become a dynasty. Alabama uh, opponent story arch, holders of the throne, etc., but that spot has been taken away by an aesthetically unpleasing purple and orange team. What few changes in play calling moments, coach hires, etc., recruiting mishaps, favoritism, blah, 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 would have led the Buckeyes down an alternate reality of elite team. I would love to hear your rewritten history or a Buckeye talk butterfly effect resulting in the headline, Luck of the QB draw and Urban Meyer three-peat. Boy, oh boy. All right. So there's a couple things here. Um, Let's start with what could have changed things. Number one is Tom Herman staying as the offensive coordinator. When you win, you lose coaches. That is normal. That happens all the time. But, for instance... Brent Venables at Clemson, their defensive coordinator, they've managed to keep him through all of this. Now, they've lost other people. They lost Chad Morris, their offensive coordinator, and they, they haven't missed a beat. But to lose Tom Herman, and then that's coupled with promoting Ed Warner above his pay grade. He should have been an offensive line coach, not a, not a coordinator. And bringing in Tim Beck, who I still believe was a failure as a quarterback's coach and a co-offensive coordinator. And we actually have a, a question about that later. I think if Tom Herman stays, I think they make the playoff in 2015. I think their offense looks better all year in 2015. I think it's possible their quarterback decision and the way they went back and forth with Cardale and JT would have been different because you threw Tim Beck in that room where Urban was making the quarterback decisions because Tim Beck had no standing. He was the new guy. He didn't know anything. But Tom Herman would have been like, this is my room. These are my guys. Urban could have leaned on him for that decision. That's number one. Number two is um, Ohio State had recruited Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson was one of the guys they were all in on at one point uh, in the recruiting process. If somehow they get Deshaun Watson instead of Clemson getting Deshaun Watson, that's another one. Now, that's obvious. Oh, Clemson got a guy who wound up being basically the best player, even though they never won the Heisman, was the best player in college football for two years. If he had gone to Ohio State, that would have been a different thing. Of course it would. But, but you know, there's a world where maybe Ohio State wins that recruiting battle, right? And they didn't. Deshaun Watson went there. So that's huge. Um, 
And I just, I, so I, like, coupled with the Herman thing is just a better hire. It's just a better hire in the offensive coordinator realm, uh, for 2015. Um, like, what other things are parts of that? Uh, I really think the Herman thing to me, because the talent was there in 15. Like, if you're talking about a three-peat, I, I don't know that they could have three-peated, right? Because they were going to lose all those guys to the draft. They were going to lose three, uh, ten guys to the first three rounds of the draft after 2015. But, you know, Dabo's a unique guy. So, um, you know, they've been able to keep Brent Venables as their defensive coordinator. He's just that guy on the other side of the ball that you never lose. And Ohio State, you know, lost um, Luke Fickle and lost Chris Ash and, and replaced them with Greg Schiano, who wasn't as good. So <clears throat> I think, you know, you've got to be able to replace those assistants. But if they could have kept one or two of those key coordinators for a little bit longer than they kept him, I really think that would have been the main thing. I don't know that there's much with talent um, with Ohio State compared to Clemson that is that is all that different. Um and I just think Dabo got something going on there. So um, we could go into this. Like the urban butterfly effect is interesting. It's just like I love alternate paths and alternate realities. But I clearly would lead any rewritten history about they should have won. They should have gone back to back in 14 and 15. And my number one thing is losing Tom Herman. Good question, Evan. All right, let's go to the next one. That was less than five minutes. That was a win. All right, Jeff Byler. With the email question, Doug, is all the quarterback transfer madness JT Barrett's fault if he were good enough? Well, did, I, did I already do this one? Hold on a second. I can't remember if we did this question or not. I'm going to run through it quickly because maybe we did. But the point is, if JT Barrett would have gone pro, what would have would it maybe have set off a... a uh, domino effect that they wouldn't have lost all these transfer quarterbacks? And the answer is no. Because in the end, the only thing JT Barrett going pro and not being back for his fifth year as a redshirt senior in 2017, the only thing that would have changed is that Dwayne would have been the quarterback for two years instead of one year. But Dwayne still would have blocked Joe Burrow and Joe Burrow still would have left. And you still would have had a decision now about Tate and Baldwin and are you going to bring in somebody like Fields? Justin Fields is what set all this off. If Justin Fields never existed and and you sort of you couldn't get a, a transfer quarterback and you were left with Matt Baldwin and, and Tate Martell um, I think maybe you'd have Matt Baldwin and Tate Martell. And so, so Justin Fields is the trigger point. It's not JT. The only thing JT did was cost us two years of Dwayne, and we get one year of Dwayne instead. Because you, the, the question asked, would Dwayne have left earlier? He couldn't leave earlier. So he he was a red he redshirted in sixteen. Then he could have played as a redshirt freshman in seventeen, redshirt sophomore in eighteen, and he was a three and out guy all the way. So um, it's not JT's fault. The only thing JT did by sticking around was cost us a chance to see two years of Dwayne. Taylor Clawson. And again, some of these questions are, are a little bit older because I'm going back and catching stuff we didn't catch before. Um, so some of this stuff, is like if it's, if it's off a news peg, if it, if it, you think, why is this guy asking this question now? It's because I'm reading it now. They asked it before. Tyler, uh, Taylor Clawson on the email from May 6th, but it's still relevant. With all the talk about Urban potentially coming out of retirement to coach USC next season, and again, the talk is really just Reggie Bush kind of goofing off. How concerned should Ohio State be that 
Mickey Marotti, Mark Pantone, et cetera, would leave to join him outside of Ryan Day's offensive prowess. Keeping the infrastructure in place was one of the main reasons for hiring Ryan Day immediately rather than conducting an outside coaching search. Does this put additional pressure to, on Ryan Day to win right away? Um, I think they would go with him. They left Florida. Mickey Marotti and Mark Pantone and Ryan Stamper have no connection. Brian Voltolini <coughs> have no connection to Columbus, Ohio and Ohio State other than Urban Meyer. Now that they can't work with Urban, well, they are working with Urban because Urban still works for the university, but I think they would follow Urban. I think those four guys are loyal enough to Urban that if Urban went to be the head coach at New Mexico State, they'd go. So that would have an effect. But Ryan Day is also going to have to figure it out. You know, Ryan Day, you've got to have guys ready. You know, So maybe you'd have an assistant to Pantone, an assistant to, to Mick uh, that would want to stick around and do it. But... If, if that's part of your concern about if Urban Meyer coaches again, what happens with the infrastructure, it's a guess by me, but my guess would be the infrastructure that is all of, that he created and is completely linked to him would follow him. And it would be incumbent. A, lot, a big part of being a head coach is hiring people. So if Ryan Day couldn't figure out who to hire as a strength coach and a recruiting coordinator, then he shouldn't have the job. So I'm sure he would be able to figure that out. Would he be? Would they be as good as Pantone and, and Marotti? Maybe not, because those guys are really good at their jobs. But Ryan Day would have to be able to figure that out, and I think he might have to figure it out eventually anyway. Because you know maybe those guys will just, you know, I don't know. Maybe they'll stay with Ryan Day forever. Um, but Ryan Day, in terms of hiring and building a staff and all that stuff, eventually there's going to come a point where he's going to have to stand on his own two feet without having any connection to Urban Meyer with the decisions he makes there. Good question, Tyler, Taylor Clausen. All right, so this is a, another hypothetical from James Angel III. Hypothetically, you can call him Jimmy Angel. That's how he signs it. If Kyle McCord loses a quarterback battle to Jack Miller and transfers before his third year on campus, but recruiting him was the tiebreaker to get Marvin Harrison Jr., who is a highly rated high school receiver who plays at the same high school as Kyle McCord, was it worth it to lose the quarterback depth to get the star receiver? Same question applies to Matthew Baldwin and Garrett Wilson. So I will say this. I think it's probably not an applicable question because Garrett Wilson is not here because of Matt Baldwin. Garrett Wilson was here like Garrett Wilson. They were in on Garrett Wilson long before Matt Baldwin and Garrett Wilson is a five-star guy who is not going to um, pick his college based on whether his high school quarterback was coming with him. And I don't know much about Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison Jr., but I will just tell you, occasionally there are package deals with these guys, right? Occasionally some high school teammates are like brothers practically and they really want to go together. Um, but just because a guy plays with a guy in high school, I mean, did you, go to, like, did you go to college with your high school friend? Like maybe if it was your best friend, there are people who like room with their high school best friend um, in college. But like... Maybe not just a regular friend, right? So, like, I just think Marvin. A lot of people want Marvin Harrison Jr. I suppose it might help. Ohio, it's it's one thing in Ohio State's corner. I don't think they're going to get Marvin Harrison because Kyle McCord came here. So, um, I would be careful about linking people up too much with this stuff. But 
You know, and again, I was at Brown's camp today for the first uh, – it was their second OTA and their first one open to the media. It's like did – were the Browns able to trade for Odell Beckham Jr. only because Jarvis Landry's on the team and Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham are friends and you believe if Jarvis is here and then you trade for Odell, it'll help him be happy if Jarvis Landry's here? Um, it's not the only reason. Does it help? Sure, it helps. But those guys are also super-duper-duper tight. I'm not sure that these other guys – are as tight as that. I'm not going to pretend I know how tight Marvin Harrison and Kyle McCord are. I'll just tell you, everybody wants Marvin Harrison Jr., but coaches do stuff like this all the time. And if a kid is good enough, the way I always think about it, if a kid's good enough, he's worth two scholarships. So you can't give one kid two scholarships, but if you ever felt like, well, we've got to recruit him and his friend to get him, there are certain guys it's worth it for. Maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. is worth it, but A, that's not why they picked Kyle McCord, and B, I don't think that's how this is really going to work out. Good question, though, James. Excuse me, Jimmy Angel. Ryan from Vegas. Ryan Reddick, do you think the Buckeyes offense will look similar to the L.A. Rams? Um, I don't know. So I talked this story I have with Ryan Day um, we talked a lot about offense. We talked a lot about offensive philosophy. We talked a lot about NFL stuff and college stuff and how it's all linked together. And you guys will be able to read this story soon because I'm finally going to get it done. But I will tell you that the simplest explanation, because I said to Ryan Day, is, you know, the, there's one thing. Which, the main thing that's important is how the offense runs, right? But the second, a, a, a tertiary part of that is like how we talk about it. And I just said, like, what's the shorthand? How should we, the, the media and fans sort of be talking about your offense? I said, is it in an NFL offense? Is it a Chip Kelly offense? Is it an Urban Meyer offense? Is it a mix of that? And I think the way he explained it, and again, this is a conversation he and I had in his office for an hour. I'll be fair. 50 minutes. During spring football. Um it's NFL-style throws and plays with college spacing. So I think what he means by that is three receivers, tight ends flexed out, single back, um, RPOs, um, shotgun. But a lot of that is stuff that is leaking into the pro game anyway. And Ryan talked about that. We talked about that. He was saying the run game is moving up. It's moving from college up to the NFL. And when he was talking run game, he's talking about quarterback run game. And he's talking about, you know, in the NFL, maybe you can't run the quarterback quite as much because you he's a multi-bazillion dollar guy and you can't get him hurt. But also he sort of made the point in college football, because of all these transfers, nobody has a good back, you know, nobody has a backup quarterback anyway. So you, you in college anymore, you almost have to – you're as interested in protecting your quarterback as the NFL is. But yet you still find a way because it's so effective to have a quarterback as a run threat. Not necessarily a runner all the time, but a run threat that's so effective that he said the Chiefs and the Bears and you see teams up in the NFL who are adopting some of that stuff sometimes. So I think the Ryan Day offense I, – I don't know enough about the Rams offense to know – the comparison, but I will tell you, Ryan Day wants to run NFL plays and NFL routes and NFL throws at a college set. But I think he would tell you that's what NFL teams are doing too. 
And the second part of this question, and it's not really part of the question, but it's a really important point that I brought up, and I and I, I put it out to him this way. Of, I mentioned the idea that the defensive staff last year maybe put too much on these guys, and the, the Greg Schiano and Bill Davis treated college players like NFL players and expected them to do NFL things, and that didn't work. So I said, what do you do when you are a coach with NFL expertise and NFL knowledge, but you don't want to paralyze college kids? And he said, that's the whole point. That's the whole point is that you want the coaches to have the NFL knowledge so that they can impart it to the college kids, but they can do it in a way that 20-year-olds who aren't doing it for their full-time jobs and have to go to class can understand it. So you want NFL sophistication? Simply explained. You want NFL ideas? Simply explained. And he was talking about a lot of times coaches like to talk about the idea that, hey, we... Hey, this quarterback, this player wants to know everything. He wants to know what everybody's doing. And and he was saying last year, sometimes Dwayne didn't need to know the why. Because Ryan Day knew the why. So if Ryan Day just says, this is your first read, this is your second read, this is your third read. Why that's the case against a certain defense, you know, from this formation against this defense, here are your reads. Well, why is that? Well, don't worry about the why. I've already figured it out as the coach. I know the why. I'm just one. I'm telling you the what. And then, you know what? He said by the end of the year, Dwayne wanted more whys. And then if Dwayne were to come back for a second year as a starter or as a third year as a starter, that's when you have the stories of coaches explaining the whys. Oh, this guy wants to know the whys. I think last year, the defense was being asked to do so much and guys were moving around so much and they didn't know what they were doing. And we talked about this with Jeff Halfley and some of the stuff. I think Ryan Day has a real good um, view on this. How on the offensive side, he can take the NFL ideas. On the defensive side, Jeff Halfley can take the NFL ideas. But they absolutely understand the idea. And I I don't want to use the phrase dumb it down, but they want to simplify it. They, They don't want the idea to be simple. They want the idea to be sophisticated and NFL sophisticated. They want the explanation and the teaching of it to be simple. And that might be hard to do, but that's why they make the big bucks. So I thought that was an interesting – I was very interested about that idea of the NFL to college. We've talked about it here before, and Ryan Day and I talked about it, and I thought that was a good answer. This is just a little note from our friend Jason Williamson. I'm a 47-year-old Buckeye fan that doesn't listen to any other podcast on a regular basis. Love the show and look forward to downloading and listening each week. I picked up on the podcast about two years ago and have been hooked. I want to help keep the podcast going and thriving, but I really don't need or want another text. I spend a good amount of time driving for work and even paying for the podcast would be great. I feel about half ADD and getting a Buckeye text while driving would not be good. I'm sure the texts are great and I would enjoy them, but if there's another way to help keep things going, I'm interested. Keep up the great work and thank you. Um, Jason Williams said, no, thank you, Jason, from Buckeye Talk. Thank you. Um, I will say um, when people respond, when, when you guys who have the text messages, and again, what this is, I said one or two a day. You know, I, I, um, If you get it, try it. If you're at all interested, try it. You have the rest of the month of May to get it for free. 
and I think people on here have tried it, so I'm not going to explain it again because I've explained it enough. But um, I do get every message you guys send back, I get. But so, so there is somebody who has their phone set that if I send a text out like between like 4 and 5.30, um, I, it always bounces back and says like, I'm driving right now. If this is urgent, send me another text or whatever and it'll get through. But it's like I see that message every time. So you can set your phone to like bounce the text back or hold it until you're ready to read it. And then the other thing is that um, people who have started the free trial, if you want it to stop, you just have to text the word stop back. And then I see it. Did I tell this story already? I can't remember what I tell my wife and what I tell you guys. It's because I think of you that way. I would marry this podcast. Um, so I have a couple messages, probably like 10 so far, where someone just texts STOP. And sometimes they text STOP in all capital letters. And I understand that's the way to, to, to stop getting the text. And so I'm not offended that you don't want the text anymore. I appreciate you guys trying. But it is a little jarring to just get a message back from somebody that says STOP. And I thought that would be a good thing to bring to Twitter. Just like... If someone's tweeting something and they're bugging you, if you just tweet STOP in all capital letters at, at somebody, let me tell you, as the recipient of those messages, it gets the point across. STOP! But Jason, don't stop. Thank you for listening. And uh, thanks to everybody who's listening today and has tried the text messaging. All right, we're going to go back. This is the last uh, email in May um, that we had not gotten to. Um, and I apologize to the emails in, in April um, that we didn't get to. But it's actually from Evan Jones. So we just had one from Evan Jones um, about Clemson. But this was his first one. Um, longtime listener, first-time emailer, located in Portland, Oregon. So, Evan, we already read your Clemson one, but this is another good one. I'm very excited to see the Buckeyes in New Eugene next year. I think Oregon is one of two states I've never been to. So I am also looking forward to seeing the Buckeyes in, in Eugene. I have a few thoughts and questions around the playoff committee evaluation. We all know an incomplete team can make the playoff, but can an incomplete team win the national championship? Or is a complete team required? How can the committee do a better job at choosing the four best and most complete teams? Or does an undefeated team with obvious flaws deserve a top four ranking? These questions might also require defining incomplete and complete teams. Thanks. Looking forward to the rant and keep up the great content. So thank you, Evan, first of all. Thanks for uh, being a longtime listener, and we appreciate getting emails from you. I think the committee at times looks too hard for complete teams, and they get obsessed sometimes um, with how good somebody's defense is. And I, I guess I would argue – I don't know why it's inherently better, and I think the committee thinks this. Is it inherently better to beat a team twenty-eight to seven as opposed to um, fifty-six to thirty-five? Right? It's a twenty-one point win either way. So what's the difference? But I do think um, they act like they care about that. And they acted like they cared about Ohio State's defense last year. And, and I just – like to me it's like our – I understand dominance and I, you know that they don't necessarily want to take in uh, into account scoring margin. But obviously we've heard about game control at times with the committee and just sort of like how, how much you were in control of the game. I, 
I think it's antiquated to insist on balance. Um, because especially in a world where there are just some people who blow who blow teams off the field with their offense. And so, I mean, if you had um, – if you have a, like a super high-scoring NBA team and they win, like I don't, I don't know if you should care that much if their defense is that good. Just as the same as like if there was a team that was shutting everybody out but they were only scoring 13 points a game. Like if they're if, – if, because I think you can have a level of dominance – Without being balanced. And so I'm interested in dominance. I'm not that interested in balance. But I think they are interested in balance. And I think almost to their own detriment sometimes. And I think they wrap themselves um, in a they, – they just they, – they, they wind up spinning themselves in a circle trying to justify things that don't need to be justified. So I think – the, the main problem with the committee, and we've talked about it before, is that they change their rationale from year to year. You can't get a consistent read of what they want or what they expect. But I think some balance of dominance and like beating quality opponents is about it, right? And then if you play a tougher schedule, that should matter. And, if, and we've seen, you know, if, if UCF can't get in while they're undefeated, then I think you could leave an undefeated Power 5 team out. Um, but they've obviously been reluctant to do that. Most of the time, it's not really an issue because there's so few Power Five undefeated teams. Um, but I, I, I think if you just if you just boil it down to dominance and schedule strength, you're going to wind up um, with the right teams. And I think sometimes they try uh, to make it too difficult. And the main thing I always say about the playoff committee is it's much better than it used to be. Uh, because the polls can't be trusted, the computers can't be trusted, the old system, and, and going from two teams to four teams is a gigantic leap. That's the most important thing. When you only had two teams, you were always at risk at leaving out a deserving third or fourth. You've really eliminated the, the world where you're leaving out. If you have the four best teams, that means you're guaranteed to have the top two, right? And there was a world before where you were, if you only had two teams, a lot of times you weren't getting the two best in. So now you're at the very least getting in the two best, and hopefully it's the, the, at least the three best, and hopefully you get the four right sometimes. But um, I don't think the committee can, can be completely trusted yet, but they can be more trusted than a bunch of idiot pollsters, stupid coaches, stupid writers, um, people who don't pay attention. And again, I say that as a longtime AP voter, and more trusted than computer formulas that people never even checked. And never even made sure there weren't any mistakes in it. So it could be better, but it sure as heck is uh, a lot better than it used to be. All right, so those are the questions um, from the emailers. Again, thanks to everybody who e emails. If you want to email us, you can do it at BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. I want to get to a couple of the project text. Um messages and when people send me these you know they sometimes I can respond sometimes I can't if you guys want to try the text thing again it's through May 31st it's free you can if you just want to go straight to it you can go to projecttext.com I'm not going to tell you that go to cleveland.com and we'll direct you to it okay or you can go to my twitter account and my pin tweet will take you right to it at Doug Maurice D O U G L E S M E R I S E S um, here is a question from a text messenger. Speaking of bad coaches, a few months ago, Cardell Jones was on Letterman Row 
he's on the was on the uh, and I think we might have talked about this at the time. It was on the Letterman Row podcast um, on the the site with Jer- Jeremy Birmingham and Austin Ward. Uh, I think he was on with with Beanie Wells and Boom Heron for the podcast. Anyway, Cardell was on and talked about the dysfunction with the offense and play calling in 2015. He said the coaches were obsessed with how many touches everyone was getting. Even the players told them that they didn't care about it uh, being even and just do what's best for the team. He went on to say after the, the Michigan State loss, Tim Beck called the Michigan and Notre Dame games, and he insinuated that Warner was the problem in that room. Even if that's true, I don't think Beck helped Cardale or JT improve as the QB coach. So my thinking on this has been consistent, and I think sometimes – uh, since Tim Beck, before Bill Davis, was the coach that I got on the most. Bill Davis is now number one on that list, uh, and Tim Beck is two. So I will I will restate for the record both what my opinion of Tim Beck has been all along um, and what I thought of Cardale's comments. And listen, I am not here to pretend that I know more than a guy who played quarterback for Ohio State that was coached by these guys was on that team and has been a quarterback in the NFL. I, I, I will preface everything by saying that if you just want to go by what Cardale says, go ahead. He deserves his opinion carries much more weight than mine. My criticism of Tim Beck always centered on his quarterback coaching, not the offensive play calling. I thought in that room in 2015, you judged him by did he get the best out of the players in his room, and I do not think he got the best out of Cardale Jones and JT Barrett in 2015. They were not as good as they were in 2014. I think it was JT's worst year. Cardale got worse. So, like, what is that? It's got to be partly the coach. And Tim Beck at the time said, you know, coming back for 2016, he talked about, oh, he's going to be so much better than he was in 2015. I just don't think he coached those guys great. And so if you thought the quarterback play when Tom Herman – was the, the quarterback's coach, was better in 14, and you thought it got better in 17 and 18 with Ryan Day, then I think it's okay to say that Tim Beck didn't do a good job coaching the quarterbacks in between Tom Herman and Ryan Day. So that's my main criticism with Tim Beck, is the coaching of the quarterbacks, getting the best out of your quarterbacks, putting them in positions to succeed, right? Advocating for them within the offense, being their voice, making sure they're comfortable. And what's my proof of that? Performance is my proof. Okay? That's my proof. Performance is my proof. From the standpoint of calling the offense, Urban always said he's the guy in charge of getting playmakers the ball. I do think he overdid it in 2015. I do think they felt they owed it to to Braxton to shoehorn him in even if it didn't make sense. And they had a guy, I mean, you could argue right now that Ezekiel Elliott is the best running back in the NFL and Michael Thomas is the best receiver in the NFL, and they were on the same college team. (coughs) And they were trying to figure out how to divide the reps. And they did overthink it. And that's on Urban. So, that's on Urban, but Urban Meyer has three national championship rings. Tim Beck has zero, okay? Okay. So what I do think is not acceptable is to be like, well, it wasn't Tim Beck's fault. It was the fault of the three-time national championship coach. Listen, Urban Meyer is better at his job than Tim Beck is at his job. 
Does Urban bear some of the blame for 2015? Absolutely. But we are not going to be in the business of absolving Tim Beck while blaming Urban Meyer. That's insane. The buck stops at Urban. Absolutely. Urban made those hires. Urban promoted Warner and he hired Beck. All on Urban. But in the midst of the season, doing your job, Urban's doing a bunch of things. Yes, the buck stops at him. He makes all the final decisions. Were Tim Beck and Ed Warner doing the best job that could be done to help Urban Meyer lead that offense? No, they didn't. So, and, and then the other thing is this. I do think there is a difference. If Cardale Jones came out and ripped Tim Beck, it'd be like, well, there's no doubt about it. Tim Beck stunk. But just because a coach defends his position coach doesn't mean the coach was great. You should hope that your player defends the position coach. That's the guy he spends all the time with. So I'm sure there are some players out there who would say, my position coach stunk. But I will tell you, it was very, 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 very obvious. I remember being in the interview room after Ohio State. The week after they lost to Michigan State, they went up and kicked Michigan's butt. And talking to Taylor Decker and Pat Elfline and the other offensive linemen, and their belief was Ed Warner got this back on track because Ed Warner was their position coach. And they thought they went up to Michigan and ran it down Michigan's throat. And they, they, they thought Ed Warner was allowed to go back to being Ed Warner. And that was a success. So if Cardell Jones thinks the bad offensive play calling was Ed Warner's fault and the good was Tim Beck, well, I will tell you the offensive linemen thought the opposite. So what does that mean? That means they like their position coach. Okay. But who got more out of their position groups? I think Ed Warner got more out of his position groups. Ed Warner, I believe, is a better position coach than Tim Beck is. And is were either of them good offensive coordinators in 2015 and 2016? No. Neither of them were. And does... Urban Meyer bear ultimate responsibility for the offense? Yes, he does. But Urban Meyer was also running the offense when Tom Herman was the offensive coordinator, and it looked great. Urban Meyer was running the offense when Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator, and it looked great. So then Urban is capable of being in charge and being the head coach of a great offense. What we have not seen is Tim Beck and Ed Warren are working together. They are not capable of coordinating a great offense. So I get with what Cardale said. But I think Tim Beck's quarterback coaching did not bring out the best in his players. And I think Tim Beck and Ed Warner can share the blame for never getting an offensive rolling. Where Urban shares the blame is that he put them in that position. Where they share the blame is not getting the job done. Good text. All right, just running through a couple of the text things. That that um, response from a texter was in response to something I sent on the text uh, on Wednesday, which was I was watching the Browns and Tosh Lupui, and I'm saying his name wrong. He used to be Alabama's defensive – last year he was Alabama's defensive coordinator, and he was a really good recruiter. He had been a defensive line coach at Washington previous to that. And uh, he was another guy who was a great position coach who did not do a good job as a coordinator. Um, and then he came to the Browns. Freddie Kitchens is an Alabama guy. He brought Tosh to the Browns, and he's the defensive line coach for the Browns. And, and, and the texter pointed this out. Then I made the point, I'm watching, I tried to watch the defensive line a lot of Browns practice, and one of the things going through my head while I'm watching these millionaires practice was the idea that Ohio State has a better defensive line coach than this. And it's not a criticism of Tosh. 
It's a reaffirmation of Larry Johnson. It's just the idea that these amateurs at Ohio State, Chase Young is, has a better defensive line coach than Miles Garrett. And it's been pointed out to me, well, of course he does. Like, that's obvious. Larry Johnson is better than everybody. Because I said, you know, it just made me realize how many, how many NFL defensive line coaches is Larry Johnson better than? And, and maybe it's all of them. But I, I still think in a world where, like, the amateurs aren't getting paid and the, the, the pro guys are getting paid millions – that that's the, the case is just like interesting to me. And it's what popped in my head as a reminder of like, you know, there's been some stuff since Nick Bosa went pro of people saying, oh, the, the hand, I saw, there's like a film guy who said, um, Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa's hand usage is so good, but it's not just the bloodline. Chase Young has great hands too, uses his hands great too, and he's going to be the next high draft pick. And anybody who follows Ohio State is like, yeah, of course. It's because he's, Coach Jay's guy. Like, of course. Of course he has refined technical skills. Larry Johnson coaches him every day. That's what Larry Johnson does. So I just found that interesting. The other thing that I texted on Wednesday was that I, for you people, I went to Brown's camp and I asked Baker Mayfield about Garrett Wilson. And this is what I just, I, I knew Baker, at least knew Garrett a little bit. This is what Baker Mayfield said. I've thrown with Garrett a couple times. I tried to get him to Oklahoma, but he didn't go. Garrett's a great kid, obviously very talented. He's a guy I think will be three and four and done at Ohio State. So he's a great kid, works really, really hard, and his talent's all there. So he's just saying he sees Garrett Wilson as going to the NFL early, which I just noted is like an interesting way of praising somebody. But I think it's not that we didn't know this. We always knew this. But, but guys are just being more open about this. Nick Bosa from the get-go. Both Bosa's. From middle school, were three and done in, the, in college. Everybody knew it. Dwayne Haskins, after he decided to leave, said he was three and done in college. He knew it when he got here. Garrett Wilson's on that plan. So just be ready. And it's not a surprise. And the texters responded, I hope so, meaning he had, it means he had a heck of a career. Um, someone else responded with Wilson's ability to play right away. With the way the depth chart sets up and the potential to be a wide receiver one as soon as his true sophomore year in a high-powered offense, it would be hard drawing up scenarios where he stays unless there's some sort of major setback. So, like, you want Garrett Wilson to leave after three years because that means he's as good as you thought he would be. But that's just the world. It's not anything new. You guys know it. It's just a reminder of the way to praise a guy these days is to say he's only going to be there three years. Um, someone noted uh, that the crystal ball predictions on the 247 um, sports recruiting site are rolling in for Julian Fleming. He's the uh, five-star receiver from Pennsylvania who has announced he's committing on May 31st. Uh, the texter said Brian Hartline is absolutely killing it, um, and he is. And um, I, had, I had sent that out because, again, another thing I noted this week is that Ohio State lost the coin flip for um, the linebacker from the D.C. area who picked Georgia over Ohio State. Mikhail Sherman, right? Um, and I think Brian Hartline's, Hartline's been getting it done on the offensive side of the ball, and like he's in on Julian Fleming. That's going to be a huge thing if they get him. I just think, we, you know, you want to see. Um, I'm waiting for Jeff Halfley or Al Washington or one of these new coaches. Larry Johnson does it all the time. Just curious. Just curious. I'm not saying it's going to happen, 
But just curious when Al Washington or Jeff Halfley is going to land that that really big recruit because the Georgia defensive coordinator who got that Washington, D.C. linebacker is a 33-year-old guy who's only been in Georgia for two years and came from Memphis and just got promoted to promoted to defensive coordinator, and that's a big pull. It's a big pull. You establish a relationship, you pull a guy. Um, Kerry Combs had big pulls at Ohio State. Luke Fickle had big pulls. Larry Johnson had them. Zach Smith had some when he was here. Tony Alfred's had some. Um, you know, just curious to see when those first really, really national, big national recruiting battles, the first ones to be won by Al Washington and Jeff Halfley. All right, we'll get off the text for now. And we're going to hit a couple of the, the tweets that are left over from the previous couple weeks when I made out the call for questions. All right, moving now to some tweet questions that we didn't get to last week. Uh, we got to some last week. We didn't get to all of them. Kyle Brandenburg, I'm realizing, had asked sort of the JT coming. Everybody wants to blame the quarterback stuff on JT. He asked that last week. We kind of covered it again this week. It's not only JT's fault. Some of it is just happenstance and circumstance. Uh, Zachary Pop at PopsZJ4478. More concerning position moving forward, corner or running back? Um, I think running back because I don't know who's next for sure. And we've talked about that. I think they need a big gun in this recruiting class um, at running back. Whereas I feel like I can see um, at least – so here's the thing. Um, if you think Okuda and Arnett are gone after this year, Sean Wade um, is a guy that has played slot corner. Uh, he, he registered in his first year because of injury. Last year was his first year playing. And he got put in a lot of really important spots at slot corner. And slot corner is like a, a position unto itself. Um, in a lot of ways, and you've got to have a certain skill set. You're 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 really um, you're under the gun a lot because we know how important slot receivers are in the NFL. We know how important they are in college football, and so you've got to have a stopper at the slot corner spot. And Sean Wade has been given that job, and he handled it well last year. Um, Rondell Moore got him a little bit in the Purdue game, but Rondell Moore got a lot of people. Um, but Sean Wade is a guy that I think I, I don't think and I know Ohio State trusts at slot corner, and they're going to have three corners on the field a lot this year, and they had that a lot in the spring. Um, so Sean Wade, this is his third year; he could go pro um, potentially as a as a redshirt sophomore. But also, um, if he's back, I think he could play outside. I mean, he he certainly could play outside. Maybe he'd want to play outside. Maybe the coaches would want to give him a look outside. That would give him some more versatility for the next level. But you feel good about Sean Wade for the future, right, if he stays. And then I think you can feel good about Tyreek Johnson and Seven Banks, right? And Mark, Mark, Marcus Williamson's been in there a little bit too. So I think you have the next guy. Now, you've got to keep the recruiting going, and so that's going to be a test. But I think I think you at least on the roster right now um, – believe you have the next set of guys. Whereas I don't know for sure. So if you say Okuda and Arnett are gone, who's up next? I know who's up next. If you say J.K. Dobbins is gone, if he goes pro after his junior year, who's next? I don't know. And that's not a shot at Master Teague or Marcus Crowley or Steel Chambers or anybody else. 
but they're not five-star guys. It's not all about recruiting, and people have said good things about those guys. But if they had Kendall Milton or a five-star here, who could get on the field next year as a true freshman if J.K. goes, and, and as a true freshman, a running back, a five-star running back, is playing a lot in 2020, I think that would help. So until at the moment, I mean, they're going to get a running back. But I think that's a position where they need they need to hit one out of the park. And, um, you know, I think I think at the moment, Marcus Crowley, as an early enrolled guy, flashed in the spring. I don't know that Master Teague is a guy that you, you know, if you want to win a national championship, I don't know if you win a national championship giving him 25 carries. So I think you, you know, if you're going to tell me 2020, you're, you're going to split the carries between Crowley and Teague, I, I think you'd be fine. But I also think you maybe you maybe could get somebody a little more dynamic. So at the moment, I'm a little more concerned at running back. John Jahant, J-O-N-J-A-H-A-N-T. Two questions. If you guys could design the alternate uniform Ohio State would wear this year, what would it be? And other than Alabama, who would you choose for Ohio State to schedule a home and away series with? Keep up the great work. So I'm not much of a of a of a alternate uniform guy. I know some people get really into it and I respect that because how you look matters. Um, I like it. The thing that bothers me the most about the alternate uniforms is when they wear them for the Michigan game and then when you look at Ohio State Michigan pictures over the years, um, like in the most important game of the year, they don't look like themselves. So I think you should wear the alternate, and then like Nike doesn't want to hear this because Nike wants it for the big game, but I think you should wear the alternate uniform for like a lousy game because then you you make a lousy game interesting. But then when you play your best games, I want you to look like yourself. You know? So I will say I like the black uniforms more than I thought I would. Um, I thought they were cool. I thought the white ones they wore, as much as I'm complaining about alternate uniforms in the Michigan game, I don't even remember what year it was. Like Sort of like the all-white, so I thought were interesting with the white helmets a couple years ago. But um, I think if I were designing it, um, I, might, I would probably go black again. Um, I just thought it looked cool and at night. I just thought it was kind of a, kind of a neat look for them. I've been um, – and I texted this out this week too. And I want to talk to you guys a little bit about this. They have these uh, new season ticket packages that for the first time they're offering uh, partial season ticket plans this year. Before, you either had to buy every home game or you were doing single tickets. And previously, you had to donate to the Buckeye Club for the right to buy season tickets. So you had to pay 1500 bucks. I think it is this year. This year it's fifteen hundred bucks, and that gives you the right to buy two season tickets. And the season tickets are seven hundred and two bucks. So that's twenty nine hundred dollars because it's fifteen and then fourteen. It's twenty nine hundred dollars to get season tickets for all seven games. Now they have a three game plan and two four game plans. You don't have to pay the fifteen hundred, and the plans are that one of them's like two fifty or something. One's three fifty. You know, um, you're not getting Penn State in there, but one of them, one of the packages is Michigan State, one has Wisconsin. Those are the second and third best home games this year. They're bribing you with Wisconsin and Michigan State to make you buy what is a eh, non-conference schedule. They're they're sticking Miami of Ohio in that package. They're sticking Florida Atlantic. They're sticking Cincinnati in there. They're sticking the Maryland game in there. So they're making you buy the games they're really trying to get rid of. 
They're trying, they're trying to sell these tickets. They're trying to find a way to sell Maryland and Florida Atlantic and Miami of Ohio. <coughs> so they're going to bribe you in a partial season ticket with Michigan State or Wisconsin to get you to buy it. But I think there's a group of you out there that would be, maybe you just were never in a place to try to be able to get season tickets when you've got to pony up 1500 as a baseline just to, to get in. Now there's a world open to you. One of the packages that it's like sixty bucks a t- sixty-two bucks a ticket. So be aware of that. You can go find it on Ohio State's website. They didn't pay, buy an ad from me, so I'm not going to sell their tickets for them. But as I would advise you, just like I tell people to go to the spring game for free, if you have been thinking about season ticket packages and you can never do it, something is new this year. You might want to check it out. When I talked to the Ohio State Associate Athletic Director, who oversees the football program, Diana Sabo. Um, about this ticket plan, when I had her on the phone, I asked her three questions about scheduling Alabama. And I texted it out this week and I told everybody about it. I didn't write it because I wrote the season ticket story, but this was a side thing. That's the kind of thing you get in the text plan. I told her to schedule Alabama. And I don't think she listened, but I've been beating the drum on that. And um, I don't, you know, she said that they're scheduled up non-conference-wise through 2026, and then they've got to wait for uh, the Big Ten schedules to come out to have a feeling for when they can schedule their other non-conference games. So, you know, whatever. It kind of sounded like an excuse. Someone texted back to me and said, like, aren't you a reporter? Why are you advocating? And I said, listen, man, it's not it's not covering the White House. It's college football. So, um I am. I will add. When I think there is something that benefits fans and benefits readers, that's not being biased. So I am willing, as a college sports writer, when I am talking to people in power, I am willing to advocate for you because you guys don't get those people on the phone all the time. So I think you would like a home and home with Alabama. I spoke on your behalf. If you don't want it, I apologize. I asked for it. Who else would I ask for? I think Georgia would be great. Uh, I've gone through some of these over the years. I just think some of the ones you haven't done, but they've done a lot of the Pac-12 ones, right? They've done UCLA. They've done USC. They have Oregon coming up. They've done Washington. Um, you know, they've done Texas. They've done Notre Dame. They did Miami, Florida. Um, so it's mostly the SEC schools. You know, Clemson would be great too. So I guess Clemson would be first on my list. But it's like one of the things with the Alabama thing was I was – Hammering it for Alabama last year, could, like knowing you're probably not going to get Urban Saban, but I'd take it anyway. So obviously that ship has sailed. And by the time you'd get Clemson now, Clemson might not be Clemson anymore. When they scheduled Virginia Tech, they scheduled like v- Michael Vick Virginia Tech. They scheduled that so long ago. By the time they got the 2015, 2014 and 2015, it wasn't that Virginia Tech anymore. So things change when Dabo leaves Clemson. He probably won't be the coach if you could schedule him. Who knows what they're going to be? So I would go for a traditional SEC power. Clemson would be great. Florida State would be great from the ACC. But I would go um, Georgia. They had Tennessee. They've had Tennessee and Georgia scheduled in the past, and they canceled them. So I'd go back to that well. I think it'd be fun. And I just think you – and Tennessee has such a giant stadium. To do a home-and-home where each stadium is 100,000, that'd be pretty cool. Maybe Tennessee would be good again by the time you get them. All right. Elvis with a hot dog at DK Williams SFF. 
Do people around the program think that Ben Victor will keep a starting wide receiver spot? Would be interested to know the battle between Wilson and Victor at wide receiver. So again, we talked about this in the spring. Austin Mack is playing both the X and the Z receiver position. But my anticipation is that Austin Mack and, and Ben Victor are going to share one outside spot and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to share the other outside spot. Um, so starter, I don't, I don't, I don't really see Ben Victor as a starter. I think Austin Mack would be first among equals there, right? Um, and and I just think to, at the moment for me, if you're talking about the four outside receivers, Ben Victor's fourth on my list. Just he is a senior. He's older than Olave and Garrett Wilson, but he's inconsistent. He makes big plays. I think we've talked about this before. Last year, he made the big play in the Penn State game. Catching that ball, went up high and caught the Dwayne Haskins ball over the middle, then cut back and, and scored a touchdown, um, running wild over the middle of the field. And nobody else on this roster could have made that play. But a lot of people ask, after that game were asking, is this a breakout for Ben Victor? Is this the what? And it's, it wasn't, it didn't mean anything about the future. It meant that in that moment, Ben Victor was capable of doing that. And I think he is in a moment capable of that. But I do not think, I don't think he'll be one of the three leading receivers. I don't think he'll be one of the four leading receivers for this team. Maybe I'll be wrong, but if you ask me who's going to have the most receiving yards, I would certainly put KJ Hill ahead of him. I would put Austin Mack ahead of him. I would pick Chris Olave ahead of him, and I would put Garrett Wilson ahead of him. And that's not a criticism. I think Ben Victor, when he flashes, flashes as much as anybody. But am I? Thi- we know there's going to be a rotation. Am I thinking of him as a starter? No. I'm thinking of him as like the second guy in a rotation where he's going to get a lot of reps, but I, I don't think it's going to lead to him being a among the primary um, weapons for this offense. We'll end with this one, little off topic. Reggie Allen Rose at Roser2688. If you guys weren't writers, what other career path would you have chosen? So I have no skills. I cannot build things. I cannot do things with math. Um, anything physical, anything that would require physical strength or um, mental and emotional fortitude and or bravery. So I couldn't be a cop. I couldn't be a fireman. I couldn't be an EMT. I couldn't be a doctor. I couldn't be a nurse. You know, like all the things that are actually important to the world. I couldn't do that. Um, I couldn't be an accountant. Um, I couldn't I couldn't like do anything with numbers because we've talked before about me counting on my hands. So um, I couldn't be a teacher because I have no patience and no tolerance. It's another important job that I could not do. Um, so I probably would be unemployed because I don't I, – I, the only thing I can do is like spin a couple words, right? I don't know. And I only have like nine words. I just put them in different orders. I don't know if you guys notice. So, you know, I'd love to go like to Hollywood and write for TV. One of my college roommates um, – is a TV writer and has lived in LA. He actually, he's super funny. And he and another guy uh, made a pilot, um, a comedy pilot for AMC a couple years ago um, about Paul Revere. It was called We Hate Paul Revere. And uh, they made the pilot. I've seen it. I thought it was hilarious. There's actually a lot of, believe it or not, there were a lot of Cleveland references in it because the one guy living in Boston uh, back in colonial times kept talking about he wanted to get out of Boston and go somewhere exotic to this new place called Cleveland. Um, and it didn't get picked up by AMC. And it was really disappointing because he wrote it and he was in it. 
So like, I think that would be fun, but that's still writing. And the question is, if you guys weren't writers, what other career path would you have chosen? And I would have chosen degenerate. Uh, so thanks to you guys. We're going to cut it off there. I tried to go rapid fire as rapid as a rambler can be. Um, try the texts, email us. When I send out the call, I did not send out a call for questions this week because I wanted to go through some of the older ones. So um, I will send out the call for questions next week. I know it's better with more people. It didn't happen this week. It's not going to happen every week. But it will happen many weeks or if not most weeks. So we'll get some people back in here with me. We'll keep trying to figure out um, stuff to talk about with Ohio State. But if you want stuff during the week, Cleveland.com, look for Project Text. Go to my Twitter at Douglas Maurice, look for Project Text links and try me out. Again, it's free till the end of May. Uh, the people who are paying, who signed up previously, appreciate you guys chilling out the $3.99 a month. And again, um, it's going to be like year round, so give it a shot. So, uh, Stephen Means will be back down the line. You can follow him on Twitter at Stephen underscore Means. Follow me at Douglas Maurice. Follow us at Buckeye Talk Pod. But for now, on behalf of me, Thanks to you. And that was Buckeye Talk.